is Ronaldo. Oh, my goodness. You don't save those. Out of this world. Messi. 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 Landon Donovan, there are things on here for the USA. Can they do it here? Cross, and Dempsey is denied again, and Donovan has scored! Oh, can you believe this? Go, go, USA! Certainly through! Oh, it's incredible! You could not write a script like this! For the fourth time, the United States of America are crowned champions of the world. From the international stage to right here at home, this is FUVFC, talking all things soccer on WFUV Sports. What is going on, everybody? It is Friday, September 16th. Keenan Troy, James Burley, Michael Hernandez here with another installment of FUVFC's Boys. It's been a minute since I've been on the show. In my absence, there's been a ton of stuff going around in the world of soccer, in the world of England. We'll dive into all of that, but before we get too far over our skis, let's go to the man donning the Liverpool kit with his own last name on it, Michael Hernandez. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, I'm happy to be back for another episode, and um, yeah, I'm just happy to be here. Keenan, man, it's good to have you back. You know, this is this is this was like always the trio for most of Shot, last year. Shots at Guzman. Shots yeah. at Gu- off the rip. Dude, Gu- Gu- like has he even been on a podcast like this this scholastic year? No, nah, like come on, bro. You got to have the dedication, but Keenan's good to know that you found that dedication once again and you're back in the studio. So, great to have you back. Michael is always great to be on the pod with you. Yeah, boys, it's good to be back. It has been a minute since I was on as I said in the introduction, but you know, with everything that's going on in the world surrounding English soccer, European soccer, it's good to be joined by two professionals as yourselves. Um, I think we just got to jump right into another fantastic Champions League match week, match day two of six. Some shocking results with Sporting Lisbon taking down Tottenham late, Liverpool late beating Ajax, Bayern handling Barcelona, we could say, a really strong first half from Xavi's side, Lewandowski seemingly a non-factor, and then Erling Holland doing what he does best, scoring a freak goal. Uh, I would say, you know, Zlatan-esque. There are guys in the European game that you can count on one hand who can put that finish to take down his former club of Dortmund, Benfica beating Juve, and then PSG looking about as competent as we've seen PSG. Boys, an action-packed match day two. Where do we start? James, Without you don't have a club in the competition, so we'll, we'll, uh, <laughs> Shots we'll, fired already. we'll, right. we'll let you go first. All right, um, I'm, let's start with the headlines. Let's start with Bayern Barca because I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that first half. Uh, that was that was like great performance from Barca, like genuinely terrifying if you're one of the other big teams in the competition because Barcelona, that, that first half, that approach, even though Lewandowski didn't get on the score sheet, I thought he looked dangerous and could have scored many times. They played like a team that could that could contest for the title of this competition however Bayern's quality I mean there's just what else can you say about it they're one of the favorites of the competition every year and they proved that in the second half I mean Leroy Sané was just absolutely electric on that run this team has enough quality to knock out every other team in the competition in my opinion I think from what I saw from Bayern in that second half especially was uh 
really inspiring stuff, at least for them moving forward. Uh, but I wouldn't count out Barca just yet. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, this was the, uh, as you said, the headline clash. You know, it's it's Barca Bayern. You know, you know the, the memories of eight two, the you know all of those uh, scores, uh, and you know, obviously, uh, in that first half, I'm gonna be honest, I didn't quite watch the game because I, I had a doctor's appointment at this time. Shame. I it, it, exactly. <laughs> um, so I, I didn't quite watch the full game, and um, so I, I didn't really see um anything apart from the highlights. You know, obviously they had good chances, but just weren't able to convert them. Uh, but now one thing I want to note, if I'm not mistaken. Barcelona Byron's record in the past four games is a scoreline of sixteen to two. I just want to let that sink in. The fact that the the past Those... four times that these two teams have gone against each other, Byron have won with an aggregate scoreline of sixteen to two. And the only time they scored was in the eight two loss. Exactly. Wow. Uh, so you know th- that just shows you. I mean, I, I don't want to say that you know Byron has their number, but I mean you know that's pretty convincing stats from them so far. And I think what's most impressive with that stat too, Michael, is that you know we're entering a new era of Bayern Munich football. We kind of seen this gradual change. We could argue probably since you know maybe 2018 into now 2022 with you know new faces being introduced, you know, moving away from the guys we grew up, you know, hoping to pack on FIFA 15. Those guys have since been removed, with the exception of Thomas Mueller, who's just the ageless wonder. But seemingly having Barcelona's number, and James, to your point, it wasn't for a lack of trying from Barca. They looked really potent in that first half. You know, fresh off the kickoff of the second half, Rafinha comes within inches of making it 1-0, and then you know, Bayern in rapid succession, you know, Lucas Hernandez getting that headed goal off a corner, and then Leroy Sané on that fantastic run, making it 2 nothing Bayern, and then they were in a spot in which they were comfortable, seemingly shut the door. I think the one takeaway here from Barcelona is Xavi can look at that first half and say we held our own with one of the favorites in the competition. And, you know, maybe if Hernandez, that second Sané goal, as brilliant it was, I think Hernandez's goal off the corner completely sucked all the wind out of Barcelona's, you know, sails. And it was that next five minutes after conceding that, you know, from youth soccer on, you're always told next five minutes after scoring or conceding, you got to be rock solid. And, you know, Sané, some beautiful link-up play in the midfield, gets onto a ball and makes no mistake about it. So for Barcelona, definitely some positive takeaways. But at the end of the day, to Michael's point, you can't be continuously undressed by such a side as Bayern Munich because, as we've seen in the past, you've got to go through them most times to get a shot at the title. I think we should stay, though, with the theme of German footballing clubs and talk about that City versus Dortmund game because it was a game in which, unlike many City games we've seen this year, be it domestically or internationally, they were not in control of the game the whole time. Yes, it's a pep side that's going to you know dominate possession and you know string the ball around nicely, what have you. But Jude scores in the 56th minute, and we're in the, approaching you know the final 15, final 10, and something in my heart as a city hater, and I think we're all city haters in this room. Yes. Like, yeah, let's mm-hmm. let's watch them get stepped on, and all can be well. And then John Stones goes ahead and gets a goal from a set piece, and then Erling Holland doing what he does and throwing himself you know with his leg above everyone's head and scoring a wonder goal. Is this City's year, boys? I know we're so early in the competition and we see this team just bottle job after bottle job, which brings, you know, warm tears to my eyes. But I think that introduction of Erling Holland, especially on the European scale, cannot be underappreciated because of, you know, he can line up against a defensive powerhouse that is Borussia Dortmund most years 
and still have an impact, even though he was a non-factor for, you know, 76 minutes. I, I think being that non-factor, I'm glad you mentioned that, Keenan, because I think that speaks to his ability as a player so much. He could be uh, out of the game for 80 minutes. He needs one ball from Drew Cancelo, who has no pressure to him, and then he'll just hop eight feet in the air and pick it out with the stud of his foot. Uh, it was a spectacular goal. You compared it to Zlatan. That's exactly what I thought when I saw it. I thought of the goal against Toronto FC where he wheeled it around the back of his head. Right. That was uh, impressive, and this was almost just as impressive. He's a spectacular player. I said it last week that he's could be on his way to becoming the best pure goal scorer in the world. Um, I think right now he's one of three uh, elite strikers that are ahead of the rest of the pack, being Lewandowski and Benzema. And Erling Holland, I think after Nunes? that. Nunes. Okay. All right. Uh, actually, I'm gonna th- I'm gonna throw I'm gonna throw Jossi Zardes into that into that pile as well. Nah, but uh, uh, r- legitimately, you asked if this is City's year. We can't answer that yet, uh, and we find ourselves having this conversation every year anyway because, I mean, player wise, they're the best team in the world. They have the best players in the best positions, right? Like th- you cannot you can't tell me that. When they're fully healthy, their best 11 isn't the best 11 in the world. It is. They spend the most money. They have the best players. That's the way it is. They haven't been able to put it together in the Champions League. And I will say this. A late result where your best player doesn't necessarily factor into the game that much. I'm not saying Erling Holland is the best player. It could be Kevin De Bruyne. That's a different discussion. It probably is. But to be able to stay into a game that you're losing for 80 minutes and come away with three points... That that is that is showing signs of a team that can win titles and win cups, even if they're not at their best, they're still winning games. That's scary to me because when they're at their best, they're not going to lose any games. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, uh, it, it's just like uh, Keenan said. You know, one nil down you, as a city hater, you're like, ah, you know, this will be a good result for you know uh, for a while, but then uh, you know. Uh, John Stones decides to imitate uh, Vincent Company and just, you know, shoots that absolute ball from out of the box. And then, as you guys have mentioned before, Holland decides to, you know, just do what he does. And that is his, if I'm not mistaken, 13th goal for Manchester City within nine games. 13 goals in nine appearances. I am terrified for what he's going to do to the records that are currently... Because I'm pretty sure it's, what, 32 in a, in a Premier League season and... 17 in the Champions League and he's he's already at three in the Champions League and 10 in the Premier League so you know this could be uh in terms of so I'm going to compare it to a, to, uh, to another sport what Judge is doing for the Yankees right now Holland could do that in terms of breaking uh those records and making it a season to remember I don't want it to happen but at this rate I wouldn't put it past him both of whom need to take a mandatory PED test before we talk about any records being shattered. <laughs> but to wrap up match day two conversation, boys, I think the fundamental question is, is any, should anyone be pressing the panic button as hard as Chelsea? Because you know they lost Tuchel following that you know loss to Dinamo Zagreb. For me, it's always just a Z and then followed by absolute gibberish. Um but got to ask a draw to Salzburg they're sitting bottom with you know a third of the matches played obviously they still have Milan who's sitting comfortably atop the group with four points you know that groupie is really a gutter and i i i'm just wondering you know we're going to get into some chelsea talk when we talk premier league in just a minute boys but of all the teams coming into this European competition, 
I think everyone looked at Chelsea in their group and said this is a group that they should comfortably control. And now they sit with one point through two matches played. Is it too early for Chelsea to be pressing the panic button on their European aspirations? I will say too early to be pressing the uh, the panic button. But opening up with a loss to Dinamo Zareb like that was, was, was just the, their worst possible start. And following it up with a draw at home to a team that they're obviously better than in Erby Salzburg, who is a, not a bad team by any, by, any, by any stretch of the imagination. But it's continuing the theme that we've seen in the Premier League where Chelsea, they, they play with very little direction. It looks, like, it looks like they don't have a player to turn to that can... And I know, I know you wanted me to say Pulisic right now, Keenan, but they don't have a player to turn to that can turn the game on its head. Um, and I'm not saying that that's what they need desperately is to go out and buy a superstar, but they don't have a system, they don't have a structure that benefits the team's strengths. Because I see Mason Mount go out, and he's a terrific player who's got zero goal involvements in the Premier League. That's And that's ridiculous. He's an ex- you tell me Mason Mount in that Manchester City side wouldn't be uh, providing goal after assist after assist for Erling Holland. I'm just saying there's something wrong within the development and the structure of the team. Bringing bringing Tuchel out was harsh because it was so soon. It was very him, early. Yeah, was and like, he what? had brought in so many yeah. players, but Graham Potter now has to figure it out so quickly because the stakes are so high. They've packed all these Champions League games one after the other, but to kind of been before the World Cup and the group stage, mm-hmm. and now they have got ground to cover in the Prem. So I wouldn't I wouldn't press the panic button just yet, but there needs to be a massive shakeup within the culture of the team and within the way they play. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, it's like you said, they are bottom of their uh, of the group right now. But, you know, it is only after match day two. But, um, you know, if you take a look at their next two, because it's, you know, three and four, they they're both against a Milan. So that's going to be huge because, you know, say if you win and lose one, you know, if, if Zagreb or Salzburg pull out a win again in, in those match days you know it might be too little too late and you know they're, they're out entirely uh however you know they do have the international break uh, coming up so you know i'm sure that they'll use that time to reset uh you know it, it's clear that you know uh he is the chosen one the grand potter see what it did there uh and you know th- th- they will give him um the players uh it, it, it is gonna be interesting but one one team that i would say not the panic button yet but in the same boat as chelsea juve zero yes. points out of yes. two you know, zero out of six. They are third right now, and their next two are against uh, Ben. Uh, sorry, they're the next two are against uh, Maccabi Haifa. So those are must wins for Juve if they want to have any chance of of going out of their group. Um, but yeah, it's gonna be very interesting because you know they did make those moves. They got Di Maria, they got Pogba. So it's gonna be very interesting to see how uh, how Juve and Allegri cope with that. Well, boys, staying with Chelsea and English soccer. Premier League took a little bit of a breather last weekend in mourning of Her Majesty the Queen passing away. Um, with that weekend gone by, we are now on match day eight when it should be match day nine. Nottingham Force is playing Fulham. Villa is playing Southampton as we record this on this beautiful Friday afternoon here in the Bronx. That being said, I think the uh, Queen's death provided a lot of good in a non-political, just purely soccer sense, that some teams were able to get a breather. And, you know, some teams off to rocky starts. You know, I'm, I'm talking about Liverpool, how terrible they've been. Um, 
probably a, a needed break from soccer last weekend and just have a chance to focus and you know maybe cultivate culture within the club. Also, on uh, you know on the other hand, it's a question of who who got hurt by this pause in play because you know James, you're a United boy. They started to look like a competent soccer team once again. You wonder, you know, in just such good a form, not really worrying about European soccer in the sense that the other big boys are worrying about it, kind of taking some wind out of their sails, maybe a little bit. I'm I'm just curious to know what our thoughts are because, Michael, I mean, you and I can sit here and talk all day, and I know, James, maybe you're the best to get us started on some Liverpool bashing because the start to this Premier League campaign for the Reds has been it's I been poor. I won't. I won't curse on uh, <laughs> on FUVFC airwaves, but you know, just been bad. Yeah, it hasn't been great. Uh, uh, you asked who, which teams lost the most because of uh, having the game matches postponed. I'll say the group that lost the most were the fans because the Premier oh, League. Oh, class! Such, that's a good answer. It's it, a good the, answer. The, the Premier League is such a big draw that they. You get so much tourism for people just to come watch games. There are so many people who traveled to England specifically to, and you did it last year yeah. and you studied abroad, but people just come for the weekend to see mm-hmm. their favorite team player to watch the matches and go. The fact that so many people were planning to see those matches, spent quite a bit of money and didn't get to, is really unfortunate. I, I think that was unfair to so many people. But going back to the football side of things, um, I think Everton really lucked out for not having a match uh, against Arsenal. Arsenal, you know, they're coming off of that loss to United and going home hosting an Everton team. That was a really big chance to uh, regain their form, and Everton lucked out of not having to play in that one. Um, and I think United also found themselves in a in a fortunate position. They were going to be in a bogey game against Crystal Palace away. That's a, that's a, that's a difficult matchup, especially coming off of a high win against Arsenal. Um but yeah, I think I don't. I don't know if I would say there's a team that really, really got destroyed by not having a match this weekend. I think it's, it's in terms of getting a breather. It's more positives than not. I'm just worried about how they're going to be able to schedule even more matches in this condensed sprint. Before I the mean, World like yeah. dumpster fire of I, a scheduled year because that, of yeah. the World Cup in mm-hmm. November. Yeah, I mean, obviously the main thought would be maybe scrap the FA Cup replays and like the third and fourth rounds, but I believe the FA announced, or it's not official, but they will be uh, introducing the replays again. So it's going to be very interesting because, uh, as you guys have said, it's a massive, you know, there are a lot of games that are being crammed in before the World Cup, and then after the World Cup, it's a sprint until May. Um, So it's going to be very interesting to see how uh, they reschedule them. Um, As for, you know, I I, I want to completely agree. I don't think that there's a team that benefited no, so sorry, a team that lost out because of the postponements. But, you know, I'd say that, that a big winner w- is Liverpool because, obviously, uh, as Keenan said, we got off to that poor start. Um, no game over the weekend, so then they could have focused exclusively on Ajax. And, you know, they got that last-minute goal. Uh, and now they're not playing again again this weekend against Chelsea because it's been postponed alongside Manchester United's game, right? Yeah. Yep. So, uh, you know, so basically li- Liverpool aren't playing again until after the break, and I believe that's against Brighton, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, hopefully, because um, uh, you know, Liverpool have a lot of injuries, so hopefully, we um, th- they can get them back uh, during the international break. So, if anything, you know, it's it, this really helped a uh, Liverpool out in the wake. Uh, obviously, it's going to bite them at the end because you know, with 
with two games being postponed instead of one, how are they going to fit not one but two games in what could be a packed schedule because Liverpool could go all the way in the FA Cup again. They could go all the way in the Carabao and the Champions League, so it's going to be very interesting to see how all of this works itself out. Yeah, and to the point on Liverpool, I think this was the best thing that could have happened, and I think, you know, Michael and James, you know, when we talked about Chelsea losing a sense of direction— this Liverpool team has no character. I don't know what happened this summer. Maybe it was something to do. Like, I don't think it's far-fetched to say that, you know, not taking care of one of their own in Sadio Mane, but then throwing, you know, Salah a handsome purse and then some for an extension. Not that it wasn't warranted, but, you know, not even really trying to engage in talks with Mane about retaining him at the club. You know, introdu- introducing a player in Darwin Nunes who is... Andy Carroll from Uruguay, you know, Virgil van Dyke and Trent Alexander-Arnold, you know, maybe thinking they're better than playing defense for a side that, you know, they've played for for so long. I It just was a really shambolic start. Yeah, I saw Forrest 1-up 1-0 over Fulham. Um but it was a really shambolic start for Liverpool, and now they're chasing the leaders who are, I don't want to say shockingly, Arsenal, but Arsenal with a loss to United still atop the league by one point. I think that this break really allowed Liverpool a chance to hopefully press the reset button. We saw it in that Ajax game, steps towards back to normalcy. I think there's, you know, it's going to, if this run continues for them, there's going to be some serious questions about ownership, about, you know, management moving forward. But I think the pause definitely helped them and then you know we pick up those rest of this weekend with matches besides that Liverpool game and besides that United game also against uh, I'm pretty sure the Crystal Palace Brighton game because that was originally postponed because of planned uh, train uh, strikes or because they were going to yeah that's but that's also been uh, postponed as well that's the same deal with Liverpool and uh, United games is that the transit schedules aren't I thought that was because of uh, uh, because of the presence the presence? Yeah, like the police presence uh, that would be needed at the stadiums. That's why those two, but the but the Brighton one got postponed because of the train stuff. I, I read rail issues. Oh, it, okay. do, it doesn't matter. They're not yeah, playing still, this yeah. weekend. They're not playing. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll give Liverpool a bit of credit for the way they won against Ajax. And I think that to come off of, to come off of that and have a postponement is a good way to look back and say, here's what we did well against Ajax. This is an inspiring win, similar to what we did against Fulham with, like, you know, late winner. Um, so the group's got you, character. You mean Newcastle. Or Newcastle, right. Well, it, it was Newcastle. Yeah, yeah. my bad. Um, I got confused black, for a second. Black, like, black and white mid-table to bottom table teams. They confuse me, the color schemes. Shots anyway, fired. well, come on. Are they yeah, I know, I know, like, I know, I know. Let's be real. I'm poking my fun. I'm I think that's a pretty fair assessment of both those clubs. Anyway... Liverpool, I they the team has got character. Uh, Keenan, you're right that I think the Sadio Mane um, debacle did impact the team more than just losing one of the best wingers in the world. It meant a lot for the club, um, personnel-wise, down down the roster from Allison to Firmino. Right, like it was it was a big changeup because their their style of play was so centered around Salah and Mane. Um, Forcing the issues in behind, allowing the fullbacks to over overlap, and getting the goals from the wide, from the width. That's still that's still the way they play. That hasn't changed. But you make this point about Trent Alexander-Arnold and Virgil Van Dijk. They just look disinterested out there. I know that that goal. What what's his name on Ajax? Uh, 
Kudus, is, it, is that his name? Was that the guy who scored against that, that very lovely goal against Liverpool? Yeah. Oh, that, yeah. Yeah. It was a good strike. Yeah, though. yeah. Mohamed yeah, Kudus, it was, it, he's going he's gonna to tear up the World Cup for Ghana, by the way. He's going to be gross. I'm saying that right now. Anyway. That that goal doesn't happen if Virgil Van Dijk closes the space really quickly. And I'm not saying I'm not saying the goal was entirely his fault. It was a spectacular finish. He's going away from goal, but the Virgil Van Dijk of two years ago doesn't have that mental lapse that he did. He's not the same player that he once was defensively. Trent Alexander Arnold. People have always said that about him. I thought it was always exaggerated just because people hate him for being so good for Liverpool, and he's probably the best right back in the world. I'm not I'm not ashamed of saying that. He does not look like he wants to be there right now and he and he still has so much quality that you obviously goes through he's academy player scouser at heart you know plays for the badge but it, it's been hard to look at it it it, lo- it looks and feels different when a liverpool game is on. don't you agree michael yeah i mean obviously um it's you know obviously i i don't want to see him playing like that but um you know <sighs> Uh, if you take a look at last season, you know, it it was a long and grueling season. And, you know, the way that it finished, maybe it left a, a, a sour taste. And Definitely especially, left a sour uh, taste. Yeah, I'm aware I mean, of that. I know. Well, I'm just saying, th- yeah. th- this, is, this is why they're here now. This yeah, is why I they're mean, in this position. I, you know, I don't want to say that we're in a transition because I, I don't think we should be. You know, the only, I mean, it's like you said, the only outgoing was Mane. But um, hopefully that uh, they can use the international break to, you know, refocus uh, you know, and play some games for their country. Uh, and then, um, you know, once it's time to go against Brighton after the break, uh, you know, to to try to rediscover that old form. Speaking of the break, boys, it's the last tune-up before the World Cup. The United States men's national team head coach, Greg Burhalter announces the 26th. Your favorite coach, right? Oh, man. How do you, how do you, actually, let's get that out of the open. How do you feel about Burhalter? Rate him 1 through 10 right now. Right now? I mean, let's... Let's just go based on who he elected to bring up. Any head scratchers? Turner, Horvath, and Johnson because Stefan is not available. Yep. So for me, my money's on Turner being the starter. I agree. Defense, Reggie Cannon, CCV, Dest, your boy Long. My guy. Richards, Joe Scally, Vines, Yedlin, Zimmerman. So we're probably going to see... Zimmerman start in the mid in the in center back and probably Richards would be my guess. Yeah, that's what I think. Maybe Long gets introduced in a game against Saudi Arabia because I feel like the Saudi game is going to be the one where I would expect Burhalter. The Japan game is, I think, obviously the stronger opponent. Difficult opponent for sure. And so I think that Burhalter is going to play his best eleven in that match. And then the Saudi game, still start strong, but then, you know, see who can be the impact guy off the bench. Moving into the midfield, Kellen Acosta, Acosta, Tyler Adams, Luca De La Torre, Weston McKinney, Musa, Tillman. It's filthy. That is a filthy that's, midfield. That's probably the best midfield we've had in a, a long time. So, obviously, you're probably going to – you know you're going to just go Unf- oh, MMA. Wait. Did you see Musa uh, had, that, to, had to withdraw? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. – but, we can all pencil Musa in yeah, for the World for Cup. 100%. So, He's so good. Um, with Musa out, I think you're going to probably see some more reps for De La Torre. You know, Acosta, what he provides, he's an easy, you know, plug-and-play guy that's just going to play the so- style of soccer that Halter wants. Then going forward is where it gets interesting because you've got Aronson, Ariola, Jesus Ferreira, Morris, Y, Pepe, Y, Pulisic, Reyna, Sargent. 
Good to see Josh Sargent reintroduced. Yes. I think for U.S. men's national team's fans going into Qatar, biggest concern is if we need to play a game where we have a true number nine, who's it going to be? Joshua Sargent. Looks like Sargent's our guy. He's yep. been in good form for Norwich thus far in the championship. I think that there are questions going to be asked, especially after this international break in terms of who the front three are going to be just because are you willing to sacrifice a true number nine by I mean obviously you probably think you're going to need Reina Pulisic and uh, Aaron sitting on the pitch and when way is healthy way so I would expect it's going it's going to be in fluctuation for Greg Berhalter so to answer your question on what I'd give Greg Berhalter right now I'm saying a seven I think the players the 26 he picked you know granted some you know, Musa, Wea can't make the trip. Same with Stefan. That being said, I think they'll, the 26 he selected are 26 that I would feel confident going to Qatar with. It's going to be interesting, though, when you get those guys back who from, you know, health concerns, who's going to be left off the roster. I think we can all say it's probably going to be Sean Johnson in the goalkeeping department. And then, you know, picking up Wea, I think it just implements probably a guy like Jordan Morris maybe, you know, Ricardo Pepe getting left behind. I Yeah, I think Pepe's inclusion is the strangest one. Yeah, so do I. Uh, he's just made a move to a new club, hasn't gotten involved in the Bundesliga with Augsburg. So, I mean, we know the striker position is wide open. Right now, I, I'm leaning towards Sargent because with the style of play he has, I think he fits in perfectly. Yeah. That's just the way yep. I see it for striker. I, I'm just – I think the, the Pepe move is – one last look, because remember how yeah. dynamite he was when he came on for the United States I, men's I, national yeah, no, team. Like, I I think Pepe has the highest upside of the entire striker pool for sure, but I right now it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. If I'm Jordan Pifok, I'm very angry that I'm not on this squad. Oh, a hundred percent. Because you look at some of the guys that are getting picked up. You know, Paul Ariola. I'm always critical of him just because I think sometimes he leaves me asking a lot of questions about like what the heck does he bring to this team. Yep. But he's been in good form as of late for the national team. So, mm-hmm. But if I'm PFOC, I'm seeing that, you know, Jordan Morris is getting a shot. Ricardo Pepe's getting a shot. You know, Jesus Ferreira, who can't find the back of the net for the national team, is getting a shot. If I'm PFOC, I say, look, I check all these boxes. Same with Daryl DK. You know, yep. same same kind of skill set right on the cups, cusp of, like, I very well could make this Qatar team if I performed really well in this international break. And the thing is, I still think PFOC has a really good chance, even though he's not here, to be at the team in Qatar because who who he, he brings something that Sargent, Ferreira, and Pepe all don't. He has that factor, and he's shown this for Union Berlin this season in the Bundesliga, and he did it for the 12 minutes he played in the Nations League against Honduras. Is he can come off the bench, and he can be that target striker. We can look for lump balls into the box, and hopefully like he'll try to score. He hasn't been that good at finding the back of the net for the U.S. with that one exception against Honduras. But with the form he's in in the Bundesliga, you cannot tell me that we're that we're not going to take him to the World Cup. That would be ridiculous. Right. And I th- so, again, our question of rating Greg Berhalter moving forward, it's just going to be because, you know, you're picking up Tim Weah. So if you're going to bring PFOC, that means two have to get dropped off from this 26. And, you know, I guess we could look at that midfield and say it's 100% solid. Honestly, what I could what I would support doing, drop one from that midfield group. Maybe leave Malik Tillman behind. I know I, yeah. I know how but I I would I would strongly support sliding Reyna cuz when you have oh, Wea, Arison I, I, and Pulisic together, those three need to be your front three. 
Reyna still needs to be on the pitch. Mm-hmm. Why not just put him in the midfield group? I, I feel like his natural position is as a midfielder. He belongs there. If if Greg if Greg is committed to playing with two eights and doesn't want to have an out and out ten, I understand moving Reyna to the wing. I just think it would be way more effective for the team if he got on the ball more in the center of the pitch because that's just the way this that's just the way he likes to play and that's how he's effective for Dortmund. That's how he's been effective for US7T youth teams. Michael, I know you're you you, you do not love the international game like me and Keenan, but I, we'll wrap up soon on this on this topic. Yeah, I think you know. Michael's not a U.S. men's national team sympathizer, which is... Hold on, hold on. I never said that I wasn't a sympathizer. I'm just not just, a fan. I'm just not a fan of international soccer over, in general, apart from the World Cup. I'd much rather look at club Well, here soccer. we are we're in the talking, We're talking exactly, World exactly, Cup, I know, man. I know, I know, I know. We are 65 days away, and I cannot wait for that first... Uh, what? Well, I was just going to say that I had one more player I wanted to talk about. Oh, yeah, go for it, yeah. I was going to say Sam Vines, because Jedi Robinson being injured is Awful. huge. He, like we don't have another left back, it's, a left back with that quality. Yeah, no. Like the the reason where we keep bringing three right backs to camp is because we want Joe Scally to be able to play on the left. We want Serginho Dest to be able to play on the left. Should Anthony Robinson come down with an injury, and he has now, hopefully it's not too serious. He needs to be in Qatar. There's if if Anthony Robinson gets injured at Qatar, it's a disaster for the U.S. So Sam Vines, who's been in good form in Belgium, needs to perform at this camp. Joe Scally, who's been in good form with Borussia Mönchengladbach, he usually plays in a back five and on the right side. So I'm interested to see if he can perform in a back four on the left. He struggled against Uruguay in the friendlies over the summer, if you remember that. So I'm, I really want to see Sam Vines have a good camp because then we can be confident moving forward with two left-footed left backs because you need to have a like-for-like replacement. A team has never won the World Cup playing a right back on the left or vice versa. It just doesn't work because of the natural tendency to favor your favorite foot on the side that you play. So to be without a proper left back at the World Cup would be a disaster for the U.S. I don't think they'd get out of their group. So Sam Vines is my ultimate player to watch. Your pick to click. Your yes. pick to click is Sam Vines in this international window. Mine is just going to be Josh Sargent. I know we were yeah, high on huge. him when we broke into this segment, but he shows up that – and you know. M- doesn't even have to bag a goal. I think, you know, one of the faults with American soccer and the way we look at soccer is that goals equal success. And that's why everyone thought Pepe was the next wonder kid. When you watched him play and you, like, actually watched him play, his movement was never the most technical. It was, you know, I'd say sporadic and yeah. oftentimes... Sporadic is the best word, I would say. Oftentimes would take the chance and the ball would find him, but when the ball stopped finding him, he was nowhere to be found. Same with Jesus Ferreira. I think Josh Sargent, technically, of the number nines we have brought in, plays the most true striker so it'd be nice if he got a goal and you know created some chances so that people kind of recognize that and burl halter and the rest of the united states soccer federation can be you know resolute in saying this is a guy we need to bring to qatar mm-hmm. michael will set, switch to something that is in your ballpark the beautiful game on the state side mm-hmm. you happen to go through WFUV on Wednesday to watch NYCFC win yeah. their second title in. I saw that, James. I saw that in twenty four. Fake trophy, man. Like, in twelve months, lifting the what's the name of the cup? The Campeones Cup. Yeah, yeah I, it's I can't. So stupid sounding. Which is just the winners <laughs> of MLS versus it, it, the winners it, of Liga. It's, it's M- a Spanish name. Is there a problem with the Spanish name? No, oh, it's, not, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, it's not even. It's fake Spanish. If it's Spanish, it should be La Copa de Campeones, but that it's not. True, that is true. 
It's the Campione's Cup, bro. Like, they didn't even try with the title. And Don Garber, <laughs> Don Garber doesn't tweet once about the U.S. Open Cup, which is a historic competition. The U.S. Open Cup that has existed Isn't that for a tennis all. thing, the U.S. Open? That's the U.S. Open. The I U.S. Know. Open Cup is a 109-year-long mm-hmm. uh, domestic cup tournament for club soccer teams. That is big. He didn't tweet about it once, the commissioner of MLS. Instead, he gets a high and mighty about this extra paycheck he gets for the Campiones Cup because the Liga MX fans come in. Phil, say, be honest. Who, who it, were, it, the it, fan, it, it was more Atlas fans. It's more Atlas fans. I, I, so, 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 so I showed up at around... 5.30, and, and before the gates even opened, I saw way more Atlas fans. I, I, I'm not a knocking the accomplishment for NYCFC because beating a Liga MX team, especially Atlas, who were dominant in Liga MX, winning both the Apertura and Clausura, good for NYCFC. The competition clearly meant a lot to them. They put in a lot on the field. Good result, but stupid competition. Pointless. It's just a money grab. Don Garber just wanted to bring the, the Liga MX fans who would pay more for the tickets to make money, and that's why he tweets about those games and not the U.S. Open Cup. So that's stupid, but good for you, NYCFC. Mm-hmm. Michael, anything to add in terms of your experience there? Yeah, I mean, obviously it was my first time uh, beat reporting, so huge uh, thanks to Ryan for setting that up. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I loved it. It was a good game. Uh, NYCFC, you know, deserved that win. Obviously, they hadn't won in five games before then, so you know, um, huge, huge momentum boost, especially for uh, for this Saturday's match, uh, which is you know them facing off against their small rivals uh, somewhere in New Jersey. Last time they played against each other, I'm pretty sure NYCFC won. James, it was one. Uh, I yeah. Was there. So, um, you know, huge game uh, with only three games left in the league. So, um, you know, hopefully they can use this as a momentum uh, to finish the season off on a high. Michael, yeah. I, I'd invite you to look at the league table before you. Uh, I know. Before you I get know. on your high horse there, but Keenan, go ahead. I was just gonna say it's three versus four. You know, plenty of playoff implications going into this. Just you know, we know higher seeds equates to playing matches at home and. The Red, the Red Bulls were pretty shambolic in Red Bull Arena earlier this year. They've started to turn things around a little bit. So, you know, even still, James knows being a devout Red Bulls fan his entire life. When Harrison is rocking, it's a, it's a fun place to be and a fun place for the Red Bulls to play at home. NYCFC, you know, since Nick Cushing got introduced as head coach, they haven't really looked the same. Yeah, they've been dominant again you could say in the past I'd say like middle chunk of the year but even still when they were dominant they were just stringing together you know one win at a time maybe two wins at a time they really haven't been that formidable team since the loss of Tati Castellanos really so James as we kind of conclude this week's episode tell us what we need to be looking forward to because let's be honest here your uh, Red Bulls and NYCFC synopsis is going to be leaps and bounds better than anything myself or Michael could ever come up with. All right. Well, w- what I will say on the NYCFC side, because we, we've covered them quite a bit just now, uh, and Michael, we talked about this when we were getting food the other day. We did. Yeah. Um, it was a huge time for NYCFC to get a win like that. If you remember last year, they came into the playoffs in pretty terrible form. They uh, they lost to the Red Bulls twice in, twice in one week. Um, followed that up with another loss. They they came in um, to the final 10 matches before the playoffs in as high as third in the East, and then with two weeks left, they were in eighth and had to work their way back into the playoffs. So it's not, it's not, uh, unfair, it's not unfair to say that NYCFC um, can be good going into the playoffs on bad form because they were a team that I thought last year had the tools to win MLS Cup but would struggle in league play, and that's but that's what ultimately happened. It took a little bit of, you know, COVID and all that nonsense to get there, 
but that's what happened. They have the ability to do that again, and the fact that they've won the Campeones Cup, won, lifted a trophy at their home stadium four days before playing their biggest rival at their home stadium is big, especially because they're coming off uh, four losses in their last five, or was it just five? Yeah, four losses in their last five. They think three losses in a row, a draw, and then a loss. Coming into MLS play now against the Red Bulls, who are in a tricky scenario. They had they struggled, had that little end of summer slump, but they're building back towards something now. A good come from behind win at home against New England that really rejuvenated the team again. Lewis Morgan has been in terrific form lately, and I will say that the Red Bulls have to win this game in midfield. It's going to come down to double pivot. I think it's going to be uh, Daniel Edelman and. Uh, Christian Caceres to start, but it, it could it could vary depending on um, who's healthy, uh, whether or not uh, Drew Yearwood's suspension gets. Uh, you guys saw him kick the ball into the stands, right? Yeah, if that suspension gets uh, increased, he won't be able to play, and he's such an important player. Um, right, you talk about the playoff implica- implications. Red Bulls third, NYCFC fourth. I think there's four points between them. The Red Bulls have clinched. New York City FC is all but clinched. They'll be at the playoffs for sure. But it's more important now for NYCFC because the gap between them and the teams behind them is not as big as they'd like it to be. And that fourth spot is the home match uh, divider. If they go fifth, they have to go on the road in the playoffs. And that is way harder than they had it last year because they were fourth last year. That first home match was so crucial for them. Even though the Red Bulls have been terrible at home for large stretches, the home match for them will be big too. A full Red Bull arena, I still think, might be the hardest place to play in MLS. I know I'm biased. I know I am. But I've seen that stadium with 25,000 fans all wearing red, and there's nothing like it. It's just, it's it's going to be a spectacle. And I'm, that's why I'm excited for this weekend too, because NYCFC fans can put on a good show. I've seen it before. When both of these teams play each other, whether it's Yankee Stadium or Red Bull Arena, it's going to be fun. And I will be there tomorrow at 1 p.m. Well, what a what a tease that was. I think it's fitting that we uh, conclude on that note, boys. Always a pleasure. What a good way to kickstart the weekend. Chopping it up with you guys. James, enjoy the game. Thank Michael, you. I don't know what you're doing this weekend, but whatever it is, have fun, my I'm brother. actually working uh, uh, the Yankees. Uh, sorry, Yankees. The, uh, the NYCFC game, so I will also be there tomorrow. Whoa. So who do you think is going to win then? Uh, I'm going to say NYCFC. I'm going to say 1-0. I'm going to say 2-0 Red Bulls, actually. I'm impartial. I'll let you boys duke it out. Aye, come on. What a great episode this was. James Burley, Michael Hernandez, Keenan Troy signing out, saying, have a good weekend, America. FUVFC is a production of WFUV Sports. <laughs>